schools in our community. So we're very excited about that taking place. When a problem occurs, what I've discovered is there's several different ways people go about solving those. Some of you are really good at fixing problems yourselves. Uh, when there's a problem and you aren't sure what to do, you just pull out your bucket of tools, you just take things apart, and you figure out a solution, and you make it work. Um, others of us, not so much. Others of us try it maybe once or twice, and then we give up, and we're not going to try it. We're going to get somebody to take care of it for us. Um, but then the last group of people are a little bit like me, where if I have a problem, I can't fix a lot of things myself, and I try to find someone that can help me, and if they say they're going to help me, I'm going to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until I get the problem solved. Uh, this showed up a few years ago um, when my wife and I were buying a car from her parents who lived in Canada. And so we were tr concerned about how do we transfer the title from a car that's, in, that's titled in Canada. And uh, we asked a few individuals, they're like, there's someone at the border that can help you with this process, so you go up there and meet this person at the border. So that's what we did. We drove, we flew into New Hampshire, rented a car, drove up to the Canadian border. Her parents drove down, supposed to meet there, meet this person. They're supposed to help us. So we go to meet this person that's supposed to help us. And they're like, uh, I can't help you today. And we're like, uh, we're here today. That's it. We're ready to go home. They're like, no, I can't help you today. So this is like all I had for today. And so um, ended up having to rent a hotel room uh, with my in-laws. And this is all I had for the day and the next day. And that's another whole story. But uh, um, so the next day we go back and the guy's like, well, I can help you, but I can't help you today. I'm like, well, I can't wait here till you're ready to help me. He's like, well, just take the car home and call me. So I took the car home and I called him and every couple of days for four months until we finally got this thing resolved. And that's just my MO when I have a problem to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until I find a solution. While many of you may be good at fixing an appliance or repairing something in your car or going on YouTube and finding a video to tell you how to create the after, this morning we're going to talk about something that is much bigger than that and much harder than that. And that's how do you repair a broken relationship? How do you repair a broken relationship? You can Google it and you'll find 22 million suggestions. And so I want to narrow the pool for you this morning and try to make that a little bit simpler um, and look at what God has to say about that and some direction that some pretty wise people offered to us along those lines. You know what I've discovered about conflict? Most people have this approach to conflict. They have the conflict avoidance approach. The conflict avoidance approach. Um, they decide if there's a problem with someone else, then I'm just going to avoid that problem. I'm not going to talk to them as much, and, and I won't comment or respond to anything they post on social media. And if we go to the same church, I'll just go to a different service. And if we're in the same small group, I'm just going to get too busy to come to small group, and eventually we'll just drift apart. And the approach is called the conflict avoidance approach. But this is not the approach that I find um, that Jesus suggested. And so this morning I want to look at a different approach to resolving conflict. We've been in a series entitled ER, God's Design for Crisis. And what we've discovered is that God's design for crisis is other people. It's other people. Sometimes we think, well, God's design for crisis is I run to Jesus, and that's truly a part of it. But there's another part that God has designed for crisis, and that's for you to be in relationship with other people. We've talked about how much God wants you not just to be in rows listening to God's truth, but in circles, face-to-face -face with each other, engaging in the one another's that Paul talks about all throughout the New Testament. We talked about how to have a friend and the kind of friends that you should have, and we talked about the fact that everybody has a Lego block. Does anybody still have their Lego block? Who has their Lego block 
Anybody have their Lego block? Nobody has their Lego block in this whole service. Nobody brought their Lego. Well, I guess this $10 Dunkin' Donut gift card is just going to have to stay up here this week. So somebody in the first service got, brought their Lego block back, and they had $10. So sorry about that. Oh, well. Um, so when there's a crisis, should I just give it to somebody in the front row? Maybe should I just do that, you know? So um, <laughs> she raised her hand first. She's the first one I saw, so I'll give it to Anna. So there you go. See, there's always benefits when you're in the front. So, um. so the third week we talked about when life hits a crisis, what do you do? What do you do? We talked about being present, being engaged, and be willing to have a hard conversation with someone. And this morning what we want to talk about is what happens if you ignore the crisis. And the truth is, it only gets worse. It only gets worse. If you ignore a crisis... It never gets better. It only gets worse. If your car is making a funny noise and you ignore that funny noise in your car, is it going to get better or worse? Worse, right? If you've got a pipe that's leaking in your house and it's dripping somewhere, is it going to get better or get worse? Worse, right? If you're making some bad decisions financially and you've made an investment and you're losing money, there's a good possibility it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. But the truth is, when it comes to relationships, we try to convince ourselves, if I ignore it, then maybe it'll just get better or it will go away. And the truth is, it only gets what? Worse. It only gets worse. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how do we navigate relationships when things are going south, when we see a train wreck on the tracks, and we know where this is going, how do we navigate that in the relationships that we're in? We started to talk about that last week, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper. And we're going to look at two kinds of hearts that people have as it relates to when things go south. We're going to look at someone who's naive. We're also going to look at someone who's foolish. These are categories that the wisest guy who ever lived, Solomon, came up with. He talked about the naive, and he talked about the foolish, and then he also talked about the evil. We're going to talk about these first two this morning in relationships. And how do we navigate them? And so the first thing I want us to look at is what do you do when a naive person is headed for a train wreck? What do you do when a naive person is headed for a train wreck? If you weren't here with us last Sunday, we looked at the story in Proverbs 7 of an individual who's watching someone make some bad decisions. And it's like they're looking out their window, they're in a second or third story window, and they're looking out their window and they're watching this person like, oh, you shouldn't go, uh, no, don't, oh, that's bad, don't go there, oh, you shouldn't do that, oh, don't listen to them, that's bad, this is going to turn out bad, and it, it did, it did. And at the end of the story, it describes this person like an ox going to slaughter, a deer stepping into a noose, a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. It was a dangerous path that he went down. And it was costly. So what do you do when you have someone that's naive and they're about ready to run the train off the track in their lives? If you have your Bibles, if you turn to Galatians 6, Galatians 6, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on your phone, a wireless device, or you can grab a Bible in the seat rack in front of you. It's page 946 in the seat rack in front of you. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And the book of Galatians is one of the letters that a guy by the name of Paul wrote. Um, he was a guy in the first century that went around to many of the 
many parts of the known world and started small churches, inviting people to follow Jesus, begin a relationship with him, and then he gathered them together and they formed a church. And then when he went back home, he would get a status report on them and then he would write some information back to them on how they should address some issues that had surfaced since he had left. And that's what the book of Galatians is a book that's about, written to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And he was writing to them because they were Jewish people, and they were trying to figure out, how do I live out my faith? But all they knew were all the rules in the Old Testament. They're like, do we follow all these rules? Paul's like, no, 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 that's not what you follow. You don't follow the rules. You follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, his spirit is going to lead you and direct you and guide you. And you don't need to rely on a set of rules. You don't need to rely on a set of rules. And so in the end of the book, Galatians 6, Paul, talks, Paul says this. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, meaning they get trapped in it, they get ensnared in it, it pictures someone who doesn't realize there's a trap there and they step into it. And you say, is that the way it happens? Most of the time, you're wandering down the wrong path like we saw the guy last week. But he says, they're caught in the sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. It's, this is not a rumor, not a suspicion. You get caught red-handed with your hands in the cookie jar. You get caught at work. You get caught at home. You get caught at cheating on a test at school, mistreating someone. You get caught. And he suggests that when you get caught, that the people who know about this or who are around you, the people on your Lego block in relationship with you, they do what? They restore you gently. Now, Paul's making some assumptions here. You say, what assumptions is he making? Well, I think some of the assumptions are he's assuming that the person admits that they're wrong. You know what? I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You're right. I think he's also assuming that they're willing to help get changed. They're like, you know, I don't want this to be true of my life. I want to change the way I'm living. And if they've, made, if they've wronged someone and caused harm, they're going to make restitution. I think Paul's making all of those assumptions here. So someone's caught. They acknowledge it, want help, want change. And then he says, do it gently. Do it gently. Um, and then he goes on in the next verse to say this. He says, carry each other's burdens. And I love the fact that Paul didn't say, carry their burden. You know why? Because if Paul would have said, carry their burden, he would have said, when you know someone and someone on your Lego block has this happen, then this is what you do. You come alongside and you help them. You carry this. But Paul says, carry each other's burdens. You say, what's the point of that? I think what Paul's suggesting is that while this time I'm carrying their burden, guess what's going to be happening the next time? They're going to be helping to carry my burden. And he goes on to speak to this a little bit later in the next couple of verses. And he says, when you're going through a difficult time, when you find yourself caught, when you find someone who's caught in sin, and you confront that, and you come alongside them, and you walk in this journey of life with them, you say, what does that mean? That means that you're available day or night, no matter what they need. That means you check in on them regularly to make sure they're fighting this battle. That means you let them vent when life is going badly. That means you don't try to correct the theological craziness that comes out of their mouth in the midst of the difficult times. 
That means you shoulder some of this weight. You don't take it for them. You help to shoulder it so that they can carry the weight. And he goes on to say, he says, who's supposed to do that? He says, those who live by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit. Paul's not suggesting that you do this to everybody in your life, but I think he's suggesting you do it to the people that you're in relationship with. And when you see them making a choice, when you see them making a decision, and it's almost like you have, uh, you could see in the future and you can say, you know what, if they keep doing this and it happens again and again, they're going to be in a bad spot. Financially, relationally, emotionally, in their job, they're going to be in a bad spot. And if somebody doesn't say something, it's going to go badly. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. And Paul says, you come alongside someone like that, who's headed for a train wreck, and you engage them. Do you realize? Did you notice? Are you aware of? Not why did you, and you shouldn't. And then you offer to walk with them in this journey. You gently restore them in this process. Paul says, you're going to have people in your life, on your Lego blocks, who they may just be naive about some things in life. They may just be a little naive about some things in life. And Paul says, I want you to engage them, and I want you to walk with them. But there's another category of people that I want us to talk about, because there's not only the simple and naive person, but there's also the foolish person. The foolish person. So what do you do when a foolish person, maybe you have a foolish person in your life on your Lego block, when they're headed for a train wreck? Well, Solomon has some very specific words to say about individuals who are foolish. He says this in Proverbs 13.20. He says, walk with wise and you're going to become even wiser. But a companion of fools, they suffer harm. They suffer harm. Do you know that when you have friends, when you have people in your Lego box who are making foolish decisions, it's going to affect you? Did you know that? It does. It does. A fool is someone who's making a bad decision, and they not only make a bad decision, but they don't believe that anything bad will happen because of their bad decision. That's what a fool believes. There's four words that a fool always says. You know what those four words are? It will be okay. It will be okay. You got a person in your work group and they're not meeting their deadlines, and you know it's going to affect the whole group, and you know it's going to affect the deadline that the company's put on you to get this project done, and you confront them, you say, we got to get going, why aren't you getting this done? And they say, it will be okay. You've got someone spending more money than they're making, and they say, it will be okay. You got a friend sneaking out, past sneaking out of their mom and dad out of the house, and their parents don't know it, and they're hooking up with their girlfriend or boyfriend, and they say to you, "It will be okay." You got someone watching porn on their computer or watching it on their phone, and in their head, they're telling themselves, "It will be okay." You're married and you're flirting with someone at the office, and you tell yourself, "It will be." okay. That's what a fool tells himself. A fool says this over and over and over again. And Solomon says that if you are friends with someone, if you spend a lot of time, if you have someone on your Lego block that's a fool, it will affect you. You say, how does that happen? 
Well, let me ask you this question. If you're with a friend who drinks a little bit too much and they're in a car, they're driving and they have an accident, will it affect you? Sure it will. You've got a friend who um, borrows some money from you and, and they spend money on, and they waste their money or they gamble their money away and they eventually lose their job. It will affect you. One of the things I said to my kids when they were younger, I said, choose your friends wisely because when your friends mess up, you get covered with all their crap. You do. And that's what Solomon says. He's not saying don't have friends, not saying, but he said choose them wisely because if they're foolish, if they say over and over and over again to you, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to get all over you. So, so then you say, well, what do I do? I, I see it happening. I watch these choices over and over again. Uh, what, what do I do? Do I try to say something? Well, you could try. But Solomon says, don't answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be just like him. Let me just like him. Can you think of someone in your life who's made a bad decision and you've said to them, you know, that's really not a good idea. You really shouldn't do it. And they do it again. And then you say to them, that's really not a good, that's really not a good idea. You really shouldn't do it. And they do it again. And they do it again. That's what a fool does. It'll be okay. And then they proceed to do the same thing. It'll be okay. And then they proceed to do the same thing over and over and over again. Most likely, you've confronted him once already, but you've been too kind. You've been too gracious. And you've tried to help them solve their problems. But that's not going to help a fool. A fool needs to be read the riot act. A fool needs to be told the truth. A fool needs to be said, if you continue this behavior, it's going to lead you to this, and this is where you're going to end up. And by the way, if you want my help, give me a call. Give me a call. Because the fool has to see his own foolishness and decides he wants to do something about it. But fools just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Solomon says this about a fool. He says, as a dog returned to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. That's kind of gross, isn't it? You know? Dogs don't ignore their vomit, do they? Well, they go back and lick that nasty stuff up, right? You know, dogs lick all kinds of nasty. That's one of the nasty things they lick up. They don't leave it. And, and he says, that's exactly what a fool does, right? Hey, do that, you shouldn't do that. Well, it'll be okay. And they go back and do the same thing. Oh, it'll be okay. And they go back and do the same thing. And Solomon says, they're, gonna, they're, they're, they're garbage, they're junk. It's going to get all over you because it keeps happening and happening and happening. And so one of the things I think you do with the fool, someone who's foolish in their behavior, is you have to confront them boldly. You have to confront them directly with their actions, and you have to help them see what Solomon always says, is if you continue down this path, this is where it's going to lead you. I said to someone recently, I think you want to be over here. They're like, yeah, I want to be over here. And I said, well, your actions are going to leave you over here. Your actions aren't going to leave you over here. They're going to leave you over here. And a fool can't see that. They can't see it. They can't see the end result. They live in the moment, and they're in denial, and they're, decided, they're telling themselves it's just going to be okay. But I think the second thing that you have to do when you're dealing with someone who's foolish is you have to set some boundaries. Solomon says this, sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Both of those do not sound very good. Do not sound very good. They sound very painful. They sound like they would hurt and have damaging effect over a long period of time. So if you trust a fool with your message, it's not going to end well, and it's going to have some painful outcomes. 
I think what Solomon's saying here is you have to set boundaries around your engagement and your interaction with someone who's foolish in their behavior. You can't trust them. You can't trust them. And you can't keep offering help and help and help. You say, when you're ready, you come see me. And so, what do you do when a foolish person's headed for a train wreck? I think you confront them boldly and you set tight boundaries with them. You confront them boldly and you set boundaries around what your interaction is with them. Some of you are thinking, but John, it's somebody on my Lego block. John, this is someone who's been a friend of mine. You, you don't understand, John. They've been a friend of mine for, for years. I don't know what's going on in their life, and they're, they're, they're on this path, and it's a bad path, and I know where it's going to lead them, but they can't see it. You're just telling me I, I confront them, and then I set boundaries, I just step back and let it go? Isn't there anything more? Isn't there anything more? Well, Jesus has some additional words to say about how to relate to people who are close to us, who make bad decisions. If, you have your, if you're there in your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. Turn a little bit um, back in your Bibles from Galatians back to Matthew. Matthew 18, the Bible's in your seat, it's page 799. Page 799. And in Matthew 18... Jesus says these words. He says, um, if your brother or sister sins. Now, Jesus isn't saying if that neighbor four doors up the street does something sinful. Jesus is not saying if it's someone that you see on Sunday morning and, oh, I think they go to my church and they do something sinful. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying if it's someone that's a brother, that means someone you're in relationship with. There's a connection He's talking about faith, not physical brother, but spiritual brother and sister. He's talking about a connection via faith. There's someone in your life. There's a relational connection. There's a spiritual connection with that person. And there's something that they do. It's overt. It's not hidden. You're not suspicious. It's blatant. They post it on Facebook, for goodness sakes. You know it. There's no question about it. He says, go and point it out to them. And if they... Listen, you've won them over. You've won them over. It's a little bit like this. You know, the lobby's kind of crowded between services, and I'm standing there talking to people, and you walk by me, and, and you step right on my foot as you walk by me. And, and I notice you didn't realize you did, and I tap you on the shoulder and say, uh, excuse me, did you realize you just kind of stepped on and partially crushed my foot? And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I did that. And I'm like, thanks for acknowledging that, and we move on with life. That, that, this should happen all the time, right? In good relationships, this should happen all the time. All the time. Any relationship we have. Someone does something, there's a sin that takes place, there's an offense, there's a wound, there's pain. We say, hey, did you notice? Did you realize? And they say, I am so sorry. I really didn't mean to do that. I wasn't paying attention. I was distracted. I, I got preoccupied. Something happened. Can you please forgive me? Absolutely. And we move on with life. Should be happening all the time. But what if they don't listen? He says, if they don't listen, you take a couple witnesses. You take a couple others along. Take a couple others. You're like, what does that mean? And how do I do that? You know, do I go to everybody on my Lego block and say, hey, did you see so-and-so posted this? Hey, did you see so-and-so posted that? Did you see this? Did you see this? I don't think that's what, Paul, what Jesus is suggesting here. 
I think what he's suggesting is you're going to know when other people have, when they've done this to other people. That's one possibility. If they've done it to you, I tell people all the time, if this has happened to you, you're not the first person. This is happening in their life over and over and over and over again. And I said, you have to have the courage to go have a hard conversation with them about it. I think the other possibility is you go to this person and you say to a couple of your trusted friends, hey, I've got an issue. I don't know if it's me or if it's them. I'm not really sure. Would you go and sit down with us and try to help sort it out? And you say, can you go sit with us and sort it out? And they do so. And they say, no, that's a problem. They need to do something. Or they, they say, that's your problem. You need, and you're like, okay, my bad. I'll deal with it. Whatever, whatever that scenario looks like, I think what Jesus is suggesting is you bring some more people into the conversation. You bring some more people in the conversation. And if they listen, then you've been restored. But if they don't, he says, tell it to the church. You're like, oh no, what's John going to start doing now? You know, you know. I don't think what he's talking about is this. You say, what do you mean? It says church. The word there is, is the word ecclesia. It's a gathering. It's a gathering. And, and the church in that day was gathering in someone's home. It was a group of people. It was your small group. And he said, if they don't listen, you've got to go to your group and say, someone in our group is going on, the, they're on this train, they're on this path, and their train is going off the tracks, and if we don't stop them from going off the tracks, it's going to be a train wreck. And the other place that happens in the context of our church is with our members. Someone who becomes a member says, if my life is going off the train, off the rails, I give you permission to call me on it. So that I don't wreck my life. That's part of membership. Say, I want that security. I want that safety net around me. Because life is hard and sin is dangerous and I don't want to run my life off the rails. And then he says, if they even refuse to listen to the church, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And, you know, tax collectors in those days were not people that anybody wanted to be around. They were not people that were trusted. They were people that you kept your distance from. And so I think what Jesus is saying is you keep them at a distance. They can't, they can't be trusted. They can't be trusted. You say, John, that sounds pretty harsh. That, that seems over the top. It seems over the top. And um, Paul makes it even stronger. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, if this is happening in your life, in your world, in your Lego block, and they're disregarding you, and they're disregarding other people, and they're disregarding the whole community that's around you, then he says, you need to put them outside, and you need to take your hands off, and you need to turn them literally over to Satan so that God might save their soul. Now that really does sound crazy. That really does sound crazy. You think, that's not loving. It's not loving. I thought we we're supposed to love people deeply, John. That's what our church is all about, right? How, how is that loving? How is that loving? If your friend has a problem and they ignore it, if your friend's in sin and they ignore it, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? Which one? going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Because you know what happens? By the time a sin becomes public and you see it, 
It's been private for a long time. You know that? You don't just all of a sudden sin in public. You sin in private over and over and over. And then it starts to leak out and pop up and eventually it goes public. If they've ignored your words, will saying more words get their attention? Probably not. Probably not. It's going to require other people. It's going to require the weightiness of your whole community, maybe the weightiness of our entire church, of our entire membership to bring someone back. And what will be their response? I said this to you last week. They might love you for it and say, I'm so glad you had the courage to have this hard conversation because if you wouldn't have had this hard conversation, I might have derailed my life and it might have cost me something that I dearly love. Or they might hate you for it. And maybe, just maybe, God will bring them back. And they'll say, your actions spared my life. If your friend has a problem, is involved in sin, will ignoring it make it better or make it worse? Let me flip the coin on you. What would you want your friends to do? If you were making a choice and decision that was going to lead you to run your life off the rails and cost you something dearly, would you want your friends to speak into your life, to engage you, to confront you, to do whatever it took to turn that around in your life? I don't know about you, but I think I would want that. I think I would want that. One of the painful parts about my role in working with people is I have to sit with people whose lives have completely gone off the track and they've lost everything. And I will often say to them, did anybody warn you? Did anybody tell you? Did anybody in your life have the courage say, don't do this. Don't do this. And part of what I realize is when we find ourselves in those situations, we have a choice with a friend, someone on our Lego block. We can either follow God's plan and put them in God's hands, or we can follow our plans and we can hold on to them tightly. Let me say that again. We can either follow God's plan and put them in His hands, or we can follow our plans and hold on to them tightly. I don't know about you, but I'm a hold on to them tightly kind of person. I'm wired as a shepherd. I'm wired to stay engaged with people. And while that's an incredible gift, it can be a painful curse when someone's struggling. Because I believe that if I just stay in there with them, if I just walk with them, that somehow it's going to turn them around. And God, over and over and over and over again, just this week in a text from a friend said to me, John, you have to let them go. You have to release them and hope that God will bring them back in his time. I don't know about you, but I want relationships in my life that are going to last a lifetime. That's what I want. As we've been in this series on relationships um, someone posted on Facebook as they were commenting and talking about how do I develop that and what does that look like? And they asked this question. They said, other than my family, 
Who would be the people that would carry my casket? I thought, a little morbid to think about, but who would be the people? Who would be the people that have walked through life with me, that have been there through thick and thin, that have been the kind of friend we talked about last week or two weeks ago, that have had the hard conversations, that have stayed present with me, that if my life has gone off the rails, they have the courage to enter my life and my story and bring me back. Who are those people in my life? You know, when we talk about loving God fully and loving others deeply, it, it sounds nice, it flows smoothly, it looks great on the sign out in the lobby. But it is hard to do this. It is hard to do this. The easy route is to say, I'm just going to go the route of saying, I'm not going to get involved, I'm going to ignore it, and it'll get better, which we know and have agreed, I think most of us, reluctantly, it won't. Or we can say, do I love these people in my life enough? Do I love them enough that I'm going to have these hard conversations with them with the hope that God might just turn this thing around? And if not... I'm not going to wash my hands and say, I'm done, I'm fed up, I'm sick of it, I'm, a, I'm out. I'm going to say, God, here, they're, they're yours. I've done everything I can, and now I've got to step back and leave it completely in your hands. Is there a time when we stop caring? As the title of the message suggests, I'm not sure that there is. Is there a time we step back from what we're doing and what we're saying? I think there can be a time when that needs to happen. And we release them fully into God's hands. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? And as we do, I want to give you a moment just to meet with God. Um, some of you this morning have had someone speak into your life. And... You've said it's going to be okay. And my prayer for you this morning is that God's Spirit is saying to you, it's not. It's not. And you have to do something now. Maybe for some of you this morning, um, you have to have one of these hard conversations that I'm talking about. And you've been avoiding it You've been pushing it aside. You've been subtly telling yourself it's going to get better or I really, it's not mine to navigate, but it's someone on your Lego block and you know a train wreck is coming if you don't walk towards them and engage them. And so no matter where you're at in this journey, because some of you are just saying, like you've been saying to me the last three weeks, John, I don't even know who's on my Lego block. And you need to take a step towards other people with the hopes that those relationships might develop. God, for some this morning who are blinded to see everything's okay, God, I just pray that you would open their eyes 
for some that say, I, I'm not, I don't even know if it's worth having that conversation, God. It's, it's so hopeless that you would give them courage to walk towards people and remind them that they're walking toward them is not because they're better than they are, but because they love them so much they don't want to see this happen in their lives. And for those that recognize, I, I do need relationships in my life. I don't know why I don't have them. I'm scared to death to enter them, but I need them, God. Because I don't want that to happen to my life. And no one sound a warning alarm to me. God, you have loved us with a love that we cannot imagine. You've loved us in a way that You then say to us, will you love other people in the same way? And if you do it, others are going to know that you follow me. And so God, this invitation to love one another, to be engaged in relationships like this, um, Lord, this is not easy. We need your help to do this. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and uh, we'll